Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here recording Lost in the Woods. Welcome. Here's part two of our three-parter. Yep. So last week we did the Scotland case of the World's End murders. And today we are going to London. Ooh. So as you can hear, my voice is still still this. Yeah, Maddie's voice is not better, but uh, yeah, we're going to try to fight through it here. I do apologize, but uh, <laughs> I'm sorry you have to listen to this for another week. Another week. Yeah, exactly. So welcome, welcome. If you guys haven't checked out our Patreon lately, we actually are planning our next trip right now. Yes. We're not releasing where we're going yet because we don't want to ruin the case. It's going to be a little different than our Last Joshua one. Tree National Park. Which, if you haven't looked at that... Oh my you gosh, that's crazy. I think that that is a solid reason to go on Patreon because we actually went to Joshua Tree for anyone who's new and hasn't seen it, heard it, didn't mm-hmm. hear us talk about it back when we did it. We went to Joshua Tree National Park and we covered two, three? Two cases. Two of the cases the that we did. Laura... Bradbury, mm-hmm. which was the three-year-old who went missing. Yes. From Indian Cove. Yes. And then we did... Lloyd. Erica Lloyd? Erica Lloyd. Erica Lloyd, who had some crazy shit going on. Crazy stuff. We followed her track through the park. We went to where her car was found. We, we slept at her campsite. Yeah. Okay. Like, there's a lot of good content on there. We took a lot of videos. You get to listen to us talk in a car. You get to see our crazy camping hair. Yeah. And we have Bunker Talk, too. Which is our biased opinion on every episode that we do. Yes, and we also have Hiking with Hannah, which, speaking of it, we need to record. So you get to listen to that. You get to listen to us possibly may or may not be slightly intoxicated when we do record the Hiking with Hannah's because it only fits I know, yeah. better, but you get to <laughs> listen to us drag out my aunt. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. there's a lot of there's there's a lot of cool stuff, stuff on there. There's so much. Anyway, oh, also there's like a whole bunch of like bonus episodes on there too. I forgot to mention that. Oh yeah, uh, there's and there's a bonus episode for every month, an entire we've... episode. Yeah, yeah. So you yeah. know, I don't Check know. You, I don't know. I, I Check don't it out. Know. We that, but... also have merch, guys. The link is on our Instagram. You can go find it there at Lost in the Woods. So today we are talking about Dennis Nelson. Or the Moosewell Hill murderer. This case is so, so disturbing. It's kind of like Dahmer-esque almost. So Dennis Nilsson was a serial killer active in late 1970 to early 1980. He was born in Scotland. He had an older brother and a younger sister. He was actually born a bastard and his mother seemed ashamed of this. You know, back in the day. Naturally. And he never knew his father. We enjoy being a bastard child. I think it's kind of funny. (laughs) That's right. You are a bastard child. I am a bastard (laughs) child. You would be correct on that. So he was a lonely child and people described him as a little odd. He actually spent a lot of time with his maternal grandfather. And when Nilsson was only six years old, his grandfather died of a heart attack at sea. He was a fisherman. And I will tell you guys up front, Dennis Nilsson wrote an autobiography. If you want to read something that will make it hard for you to sleep at night, go ahead and pick up a copy of that. Luckily, you don't have to because I did, but I will. Oh my God, you read it? Yes. You have the book? Yes. You have a hard copy of this book right now and I'm not aware of this. Yes. Yeah. 
So, oh my God, I'm going to have to start picking up reading. I want to read this man's. I really. You do not. You do not. No, I do. No, you do not. You'll see. You do not want to read this. Oh, fuck. You do not. Okay, okay. So I kind of wish a tiny bit that I could go back and not read this book. Oh, shit. Maybe I don't want to read the book. And that doesn't happen to me very often because I do find the mind of a criminal fascinating. Yeah, and the I mind do... of like an actual killer. Like the way that yes. they process things so much differently than how how they got to that thought process, right? I was wrong. <laughs> I, I was wrong. was wrong. <laughs> I, I was wrong. I don't know. You guys just... Maybe don't read this book. I don't know. It's super, super disturbing. So lucky for you guys, none of you have to read this biography because I literally, like for a couple days, was like not. Not okay. No, but I was definitely like not okay for a couple days. So I don't know. I I think I would choose a different kind of criminal, Maybe. If I was going to read another biography. Okay, let's get... I want to I see what he did. Okay. He would say in his biography that his grandfather would constantly molest him. Now, this was the only adult in his life that took any interest in him. And he actually spent a ton of time with his grandfather. Mm-hmm. So, he said that his grandfather dying kind of had a profound effect on him. And that everybody would say... Well, he's in a better place. And he started to think of death as being a good thing. He also admitted that he once killed his cat to see what it would feel like. He actually wrote that this shamed him, that he felt profound shame every time he thought about this. But he actually like took a wire, trigger alert, trigger alert, trigger alert, wrapped it around the cat's neck and hung it. So this definitely leads into his psychosis later in life. That's disturbing. I don't like animal abuse. No. Nope. All right, so he discovered at a young age that he was attracted to men. And at 16, he established in the army where he became a cook and a butcher. Oh, a butcher. Oh, fuck. Okay, so while in Germany, he paid a prostitute so he could have sex with a woman for the first time. He said that the experience was overrated. Mm. Which, maybe she did it wrong. I don't know. Maybe he's a gay man and that's why it was overrated. Oh, it was also depressing. And he assumed that this meant, indeed, he was attracted to men. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, I would say yes. All right. So he spent 11 years in the army. And after the army, he took up police training where he discovered a fascination with morgue visits and autopsied bodies. He would resign after 11 months and got a job as a security guard for the Department of the Environment. Yep. So in 1973, he would have his first brush with the other side of the law. A man named David Painter, who worked with Nielsen, claimed that he had taken a picture of him while he was sleeping. Nielsen was brought in for questioning but released without being charged. Nielsen would say that he had a fascination with one party... Oh, being unconscious during sex. Oh, man. Um, An unconscious person can't drink tea. Exactly. All right, so he said that he would often pretend to pass out after drinking with people in hopes that someone would take advantage of him. Yeah, that's real fucking weird, Nilsson. That's weird. In 1975, he moved in with a man named David 
Galatchet at 195 Melrose Avenue in North London. David would deny that he had had a romantic relationship with Nilsson. I would also deny the fact that I had a romantic relationship with a serial killer as well. Right. And according to Nilsson's autobiography, they did have a relationship. So, I mean, I think we have to take everything that he says in that with a grain of salt as well. But they would live together for two years. And once David left, which he actually describes David as like a really like dumb, uneducated, dull kind of person. So there's definitely no respect there. It's definitely... Not the best match, I don't think. But at this point, Nilsson was really looking for companionship. That's Mm -hmm. what he was kind of after. He would start drinking heavily after David left and become depressed. And he describes it as missing that companionship. So not necessarily sad that David is gone, but sad that he doesn't have constant companionship. Right? If that makes sense. Yeah, we're all single and lonely. Yeah. Well... And there's a lot of videos of David and there's a lot of videos of Nilsson as well. Like they record each other a lot. And at one point they get a puppy who's super cute, by the way. And 18 months after David would leave, he would commit his first murder. On December 30, 1978, he would meet a young man at a pub and invite him back to his place. And this isn't like the first person. He, he had done this on other occasions, but it would be a little different this time. So this was Stephen Holmes, and he's not even a man, you guys. He's 14 years old. And Stephen had been trying to buy alcohol at the pub but was turned away. So Nilsson invited him back to his place. The next morning, he didn't want Stephen to leave, so he strangled him with a tie and then drowned him in a bucket of water. And he describes this as a I-just-couldn't-bear-to-let-him-leave kind of situation because he didn't want to be alone. He then washed him in the bathroom and placed him back in bed and said that he found the corpse beautiful. He tried to have sex with him but was unsuccessful. He then spent the night sleeping next to him and then realized that he had a body to deal with. So he decided to hide him under his floorboards. However, David had gone into rigor mortis and so Nilsson decided to go to the store where he bought a large saucepan and an electric carving knife and brought them back to his flat. He then thought what a bloody stupid idea it was to try and dismember a body in his apartment. And he was eventually able to get the body under the floorboards. He did bring him out and bathe him and spent more time with him until the body was too decayed to do this. And David would spend seven months under the floorboards before Nilsson then decided to dismember him into manageable parts before burning them in the backyard garden. Maddie looks very disturbed. How do you deal with the smell of decay for seven months? Well, he's just used to it. He he just gets used to it. I am very sensitive to smell, and I would not be able to handle oh, this. Oh, I'm so 100%. sensitive. 100%. So on October 11th, 1979, a young student named Andrew oh. Ho, who Nelson met at a pub and brought back to his place, accused Nelson of trying to strangle him during sex play, which he had. He had. He, he was trying to. Yes, yeah. this is correct. This is a great accusation because it is true. While being strangled, Andrew hit him with a brass candlestick and fled 
fearful for his life. Yep, and no charges were filed against him. I'm sorry if someone tries to kill me during sex. I'm filing charges. On December 3, 1979, Canadian tourist Kenneth Okendon met Nilsson at a pub, and after a day of sightseeing and drinking, he went home with him. Again, afraid of him leaving, Nilsson strangled him with an electric cable. He cleaned Kenneth up and then spent the night with him. He took photos, engaged in sex, and again placed him under the floorboards. And again would remove him often to engage in conversation. Conversation. Well, and the way that Nilsson describes it is more like like fantasy conversation. Like he he says it's not like I was sitting there having a conversation with him. It was I was sitting there daydreaming or fantasizing about us interacting, which isn't much that different. That doesn't sound any better. I know. And I couldn't find official records of this, but Nilsson wrote in his autobiography that it was after this that he was arrested and incarcerated for allegedly being drunk, and he claimed it was because the officer knew him and then was released the next day. But there's no official record of this? Not that I could find. Hmm. Okay. On May 17th, 1980, Martin Duffy would meet his end at the hands of Nilsson. He was a homeless 16-year-old who was invited to spend the night with him. He strangled him and drowned him. He then masturbated over the body. Lovely. He placed him in his wardrobe for two weeks, and then he joined Kenneth in the floorboards. Starting to pile up a little bit there, Nelson. In August, he brought home Douglas Stewart from the Golden Lion Pub, but he didn't seem interested in sleeping in the bed and instead slept in a chair fully clothed. Nilsson said that he decided he had to kill him because he assumed that he had come home with him to rob him and was just waiting for him to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. But when Nilsson attacked him, he fought back and was able to get free. Douglas left the house and came back with a police officer, and Nilsson said that he had actually thrown Douglas out after a quarrel. And no charges were filed. It's the time. It's the gay men. It's not. Yep. He's going to get away with it because they're. Well, and that's what happened with Dahmer, too. Yeah. Yeah. So on August 20th, his next victim would be Billy Sutherland, who was a 27-year-old sex worker who he also strangled. And I couldn't really find much information on this victim anywhere. It was a pretty short one. Next victim would be 24-year-old Malcolm Barlow. Oh, who was an orphan with a learning disability who was also strangled by Nielsen. Yeah, and we don't have every single victim, and Nielsen doesn't even talk about every single victim in his autobiography. He just has a probably only talks about his favorites. I don't know. So by 1981, Nielsen had killed 12 men in his apartment. There were some victims... That he actually let go. So he didn't just kill everybody that came back to his apartment. He said that he would go into a trance-like state when he was murdering and had, like, his routine. But he said sometimes he would snap out of it and decide not to kill someone. Jesus Christ. Imagine after this, after he's caught and everything, and you realize that you went back to this man's apartment and, like, found out that you were just one of the ones he snapped out of it and decided not to murder you. I know. So disturbing. So by the time that he had murdered Malcolm Barlow, he was forced to stuff him under the bathroom sink because he ran out of room. 
he got a little lazy on the burning of the bodies, and so they're kind of piling up right now. He had to keep spraying his house because of the flies hatching from the decomposing bodies. So, as you would think, the neighbor started to complain about the smell. He convinced them that the smell was due to a structural problem with the building. Yeah. Not, really? Not buying that, but okay. So, to get rid of the bodies, he would remove his clothes and dismember them on the kitchen floor with a large knife. He would then boil the skulls in order to remove the flesh. He would put the viscera in plastic bags and dispose of them. He buried limbs in his garden and in his shed. He put torsos in suitcases until he could burn them, which he would sometimes do for days without raising suspicion from his neighbors. So he's just back in his garden yard having fucking body bonfires and nobody is like saying anything. This cannot smell good. No. So I read that he would sometimes crush up the bone from the fire and consume them, but he adamantly denies this in his book. Okay. He says in his book that he never ate or tried to eat any of them and that that didn't interest him. So that could just be a rumor that got started. I don't know. Or he could be lying. But he does admit to a lot of things that he's ashamed of in his book and that he says he's ashamed of them, which, by the way, is never the killing of anyone. No, of course not. Yeah. One thing he wrote in his biography was, so this story is kind of crazy, and I couldn't find anything to substantiate it, but he says that this happened, and I don't know if it did or not, but who knows. So he wrote that... In this muddled haze of booze, I took it into my mind to take Bleep, which is his dog, by the way, up to the Gladstone Park for her daily romp. There I was, with a mutt on a lead, tottering over to the park with a plastic carrier bag, bulging with all the surplus entrails, stinking to high heaven, which I left in broad daylight by the side of the road adjacent to the park. He said that apparently it was found by a biology student named Robert Wilson, who was concerned enough that he called the police, who thought it might be a butcher's animal scraps, and it was destroyed. Now, he said that if police had known what it was, they would have easily found his bloody fingerprints on the bag and could have matched them to his prints that were on file. Jesus, so he could have been caught right then and there. Yep, but instead he would go on to kill at least four more people. He would say that he actually had three contacts with police while living here. One, when he was mugged on his way home from the pub. Solid. (laughs) Uh. Two, when one of his victims reported him to the police, and we already talked about that one. Three, this one. When he called police because he was out walking in the Highgate Woods with his dog when he found a freshly dug hole and what looked like some man-made material underneath it, possibly clothing, he thought. So he called police thinking, I found a dead body. It ended up actually being a dog wrapped in a rug. And Nilsson would say that he was disappointed by this. Nice, nice, nice. But isn't that ironic that he's literally killing people and burying people in his yard and then he gets excited about the prospect of finding somebody else's body and decides to call police. Like, I think that's kind of an interesting thing that he did. snitch on another murderer, man? 
I, I mean, I don't like, know. They're back. Why? I don't understand why he didn't just like dig it up and look at it himself. But who knows? So in 1982, he moved into a top floor apartment when his landlord decided to renovate the property. Yeah, good luck with that. I mean, fuck. So this was apartment 23, Cranley Gardens, in Muswell Hill. Hence the Muswell Hill murder. Yeah. Murderer. Yeah. Also, Cranley Garden murders is something that comes up when I look at yeah, Cranley yeah. Gardens. Yeah. So there would be no garden to burn the bodies, no floorboards to hide them in. So Nelson would have to behave for a short time or figure something else out, figure out a different... Yeah. So... On November 23, Paul Nobbs had waken up after spending the night at Nilsson's apartment, and he felt dizzy and had bloodshot eyes. Nilsson recommended that he go to the hospital where he was told that someone had tried to strangle him. He did not call police. No. No, 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 no. Thank you. No, no I... Thank you. Mm, no. And we know from... What's happened already, it probably wouldn't have made a difference if he had called the police. Yeah. Next, a man named Toshimitsu Azua, who was a Japanese chef that went home with Nielsen on December 31st and ended up running from the apartment when Nelson came at him with a tie. Obviously to strangle him. Yes. He also did not report this to police. Yeah. In March, John Hallett, who was 23, passed out while drinking, when Nilsson tried to strangle him. He woke up and fought with him and almost overpowered him, but Nilsson was able to keep the upper hand. Nilsson strangled him unconscious three times before drowning him in the bathtub. Well, I mean, he's tired by now because this one fought back, so... Yeah, this is a whole other example of our last, our last, not the last one we recorded, but like two weeks ago when we did the one episode where accidentally murdered whoever yeah. accidentally it's strangled hard. them during sex. It's hard. It is not. He has yeah. to drown them in the bathtub because strangling them, it just to doesn't death was work. too hard. Yeah. Yep. So, um. In May, Carl's daughter came next. Nilsson met him at the Black Cap Gay Bar in Camden. He told Nils that he was of no fixed abode and was tossing at a local hostel He also said that his social and emotional life was in turmoil. He was in his sleeping bag when Nilsson tried to strangle him, but he fought back and Nilsson forcibly drug him to the bathtub to drown him. Afterwards, he put him in the armchair when his dog Bleep jumped over and started licking him. And Nilsson said at this point he knew that he was still alive because his dog never interacted with the dead bodies, only the live ones. He decided to resuscitate him and told him that he had accidentally strangled himself with his sleeping bag zipper and that Nils had put him in the bathtub to try to wake him from the shock. When Nilsson asked him if he wanted to stay another night, Carl declined. Oh, my God. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> right? In October, Archibald Graham Allen was offered a meal at Nilsson's place and was strangled while he ate an omelet. Oh, my God. I don't want to die while eating an omelet. No, the omelets aren't even that good. I don't want to die. Kill me while I'm eating a crepe or something. (laughs) Okay, so his body was left in the bathtub for three days because Nilsson had to work. He had to to go to work. 
He actually requested a day off work so he could dismember him. That is so, I find that so disturbing. Hey guys, like, I'm not feeling so good. I got to take the day off. You know, I got to deal with this dismemberment of this body in my bathtub. Like, fucking A. So, Stephen Sinclair would be his final victim on January 26, 1983. And he was strangled while sitting in Nilsson's armchair. Fuck this armchair, bro. I know. I know. I hope they burned it. And he was very drunk at the time. He noticed that Stephen's wrists were bandaged, and when he removed them, he saw that Stephen had recently tried to kill himself. I don't know why, but that really bothers me. He bathed him, applied talcum powder, and then arranged mirrors around the bed so that he could lay naked next to him and be able to see himself. After dismembering the body, he used Stephen's own bandages to tie the bag closed. I don't like you. Without a place to dispose of them, he boiled their heads, hands, and feet and dissected the bodies into flushable pieces. Flushable? You're telling me? You're telling me that he flushed his body down the toilet? He had nowhere else to put him. That's terrible. And it wasn't just him. He flushed a couple other bodies, too. That is awful. Ugh. Now, there were five other apartments in this building. In February of 1983, Nilsson complained to the estate agent about the drains being clogged. That's weird. I wonder why. When the plumber, Michael Catron, checked the drain... He noticed that one of the drains seemed to have a blockage and mentioned that it was a fleshy substance and small bones. And Nilsson actually joked, saying that maybe somebody had flushed their Kentucky Fried Chicken down the drain. Oh my God, dear Lord. The plumber said that he would come back the following day for a full inspection and to clean it out. When him and his supervisor came back the next day, it had already been cleared out. That night, Nilsson had gone to fish out the remains but was actually spotted by the downstairs tenant who notified the police. And on February 9, 1983, Detective Chief Inspector Jay went to question Nilsson and said that he noticed a foul smell. When he told Nilsson that it was human remains that blocked the pipes, he acted surprised. When he asked Nilsson what the smell was, he told detectives that he would find what he was looking for in the bags around his house. Nilsson actually said that police were not aware or made no mention of the smell until after he had shown the body parts. Yeah, so basically this detective or this chief inspector, and I don't, I mean, like I said, grain of salt, right? But he's kind of betrayed in a lot of the reenactments or the articles as being like this, like, really good detective who, like, smelt out the dead bodies or whatever. And Nilsson says that that's not how it happened at all, that he basically, they basically came to the door and he just, like, gave it up. He was like, okay, you got me. You got me. I There's did bodies it. in the bag. I was the one that flushed the body down the toilet. Like, And, by the way, shit. he is very forthcoming with information from this point on. So He's a self-conceited narcissist. Obviously, he wrote a fucking autobiography. I know. So in one wardrobe, they found two garbage bags with air fresheners. So don't worry, he's trying to mask the smell. Where they found two dismembered heads and large body parts. In a tea chest was a torso, bones, and a skull. Under the bathroom cupboard was legs and a pelvis. Oh my god. 
On the way to the police station, the officer asked him if the body parts belonged to one or two people, and he replied with 15 or 16. Yeah, so in a lot of places, you'll see that that was his count, but he said that later on when he actually added it up, that wasn't the accurate number, but a lot of articles do lead with that, that, that number. And this is kind of strange. In his desk at work, he left a letter. On an envelope, he wrote, To a solicitor acting for Des Nilsson. Under no circumstances must this be given to the police. And on it, he said, If I am taken into police custody, I believe I am in real fear for my life. It will be expedient for them to arrange my termination by usual method, i.e. enforced suicide. I now state that I have not a single thought in my mind about suicide. If any violence occurs against me, it will definitely be without my consent. And he signed it, Des Nilsson. By the way, Des is his nickname. His sister Sylvia gave him. So apparently he was worried that somebody was going to make it look like he committed suicide if he ever got arrested. So he was arrested and provided lots of details about the men that he had killed, and he admitted to attempting to kill at least seven other men. So he showed zero signs of remorse for any of his actions. He took them to his old address, where he kept them and where he burnt the bodies, and I assume probably where he buried body parts. Mm -hmm. While in jail awaiting his trial, he also drew sad sketches, in quotes, showing his mistreatment of some of his victims, which I actually saw some of these. Yeah. Like, his, like the shoving of the yeah. one in the wardrobe. I saw a photo of that. And... Yeah. Okay. He also seemed concerned about how the public would view him. He also weirdly fired and rehired his legal team multiple times. Yeah. And from his autobiography, he made it sound like they just weren't doing what he asked them to do. The trial started on October 24, 1983. Now, he is forthcoming with this information, so you might be wondering why is there even a trial, but it is because the defense only has one direction that they can go, which was not guilty by reason of mental defect. A psychiatrist for the defense diagnosed him with a false self syndrome characterized by outbreaks of schizoid disturbances, making him incapable of premeditation. And even the judge kind of questioned this. Yeah. Like, it kind of sounded like they were just, like, making shit up. He even instructed the jury before deliberation that a mind can be evil without being abnormal. So it definitely sounds like the judge did not think he was crazy. So the prosecution read notes from his interviews with police. Verbatim, three of his intended victims testified. The physical evidence included photographs of the scenes. Yeah, took photographs. He took photographs. Mm-hmm. The cutting boards that, oh God, the cutting boards that he had used. And the cooking pots that he had boiled the heads in. So the pot is actually on display at the Black Museum at Scotland Yard. Um, I want to go see it. Is that weird? No, I'm just really craving to go to any museum at this point. I want to go to an art yeah. museum. I want to go to a museum in general, yeah. but going to a museum that had shit like that in it, that'd be kind of cool. That would be kind of cool. Okay. But- now, the jury retired on November 3, and they were unable to reach a unanimous verdict. Now, remember, I know, remember Madison's face. This is the verdict on rather or not he is not guilty by reason of mental defect. So it's not... Did he commit the crimes or not? Is he mentally unstable? Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Yes, it does. The following day, the judge agreed to accept a majority verdict. We can't do that here, but apparently they can there. 
So he came back guilty on all six counts because there's there's only six counts that he's being charged with at this point. Because okay. a lot that, you know. Burnt, yeah. gone, have no yeah. evidence of them. Yeah. He was sentenced to life in prison with a non-parole period of 25 years. I'm sorry. What? But don't worry. He does die in prison in 2018 at the age of 72. So crazy, crazy, crazy sauce. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so that was the story of Dennis Nilsson. I definitely got a Dahmer vibe from that, although I think that Dahmer was definitely a little ickier. If you don't know the Dahmer story, dear God, it's um, concerning. I think that a big part where I think that he's a lot in common with is like, like the writing of the books and like his mental. Well, I think. for me, it's the he didn't want to be alone. He wanted companionship. Yeah. He didn't want companionship that would actually interact with him. No. He wanted a body to be with. And that's kind of what Dahmer wanted as well. But let us know what you guys think. We are going to click over to our bunker talk on this because the biography had a lot of like crazy stuff in it that we're going to talk about a little bit. Um, we might need a break first and then we might need a break after. I don't know. But let us know what you guys think of this case. We also posted last week on our Patreon yeah. a video or a recording of us reading our reviews. When we found the comment about Maddie being dumber than a bag of hammers, which is so rude, by the way. But before that, we actually had recorded ourselves reading or Maddie reading the reviews to me, which was really stressful yeah. to me, but it's very entertaining. That's on our Patreon. You can go check that out. Go and check out our merchandise. You can find the link for that in our bio on Instagram or on Facebook, I think, maybe. I don't know. Go check it out. Make sure you're sending us pictures of you with your merchandise. Post it on your story and tag us so that we can share it onto our story. Thank you so much, everybody who has supported us. We are so very excited to bring you our next Patreon travel case, which we are doing this yeah. month. So super exciting, super, super exciting. And let us know what you guys thought of this part two. And next week we will be bringing you the third serial killer, which is crazy, crazy, crazy. Yep. Get ready. Yeah. So thanks for tuning in. You guys go and leave us a review. We definitely had some mean ones uh, directed at Maddie this time. Usually the mean ones are directed yeah, at Yeah, It was kind of interesting to see a lot. Directed at me and me being stupid and arrogant. Yeah, and, and we had we had a very large influx of new listeners and downloads. And so we got some haters from that, I think. So please, if you haven't left us a review, go leave us a review. Leave us a nice one. Give us five stars. And thank you to everybody who has already done that. We so, so appreciate you. Oh, and speaking of Patreon, we have some new ones this week. Thank you so much for joining our Patreon. We really, really appreciate the support. So we have Danielle Young. Welcome. Uh, and then we have Courtney Fisk. Hi, Courtney. Welcome to Patreon. Uh, we have Kalia Fernari. No, Fernari? Fernari. I say Fernari. Kalia Fernari? 
We have, oh my God, I hope that's at least like somewhat right. We have Daniel Kidwell. Actually, it made me feel so much better because I actually listened to this podcast through when they were mentioning their Patreons and it's just as painful to listen to oh, that God. I feel like ours are where they don't know the names. I'm glad we're not alone. Uh, hi, Daniel. Welcome to Patreon and thank you. And then we have Matthew Baxter. Hi, Matthew. Welcome to Patreon. We're very happy to have you. Yeah, so thank you to everybody who supported us. We are starting to prepare for our next Patreon send-out. So anybody who's a Patreon will get the new... New stuff. Whatever we decide whatever to do. Decide. Yeah, whatever we decide to do. Okay, thanks, guys, and we will see you all next week. Bye, guys. It's verbatim? Yep. Oh, I thought it was verbatim with an F. No. Interesting. Okay, cool. It all sounds the same when it comes out of my mouth, so it doesn't True, matter. true. No one's ever corrected me on that. Uh, don't put this in the podcast. <laughs> I'm afraid of being called as dumb as a bag of hammers again. I don't know why. Why a bag of hammers? I, I don't, don't know. Get it. Someone, they're dull. I guess I <laughs> someone called me dumber than a bag of hammers on know. our reviews, by the way, in case anyone's wondering. Know. Fuck, where am I? The prosecution. Okay. Which so, took over four hours. Okay. Okay. Yep. The crock pot that he had pulled ahead. Oh, God. I, it would have been so much better if it was a crock I know, pot. I know. Okay. The, <laughs> sorry. There were my crock brain, pots in the 70s. My brain think. wanted to make up crock pot because that would have been so much worse. So much so, grosser. So I much agree. grosser. I okay. Agree. We'll talk about him later, too. But does he kill the puppy? I'm not telling. I can't tell you that. He killed the puppy. He eats it, actually. No, I'm <gasps> kidding. I'm kidding. Ah, I'm kidding. What the fuck? That is not something to joke about. Oh, my God. He doesn't eat the puppy, you guys. The fuck I'm does totally he do with the puppy? You need to tell me now. I'm stressed out about the dog. <laughs> the dog is fine. Relax. No, okay. what does he do with the dog? Nothing. He doesn't do anything to the dog. I was totally kidding. Not okay. okay.